So polyvagal theory part two is my um, latest obsession. This, this idea of neuroception, so I don't know if they're actual receptors, but neuroception is like an internal surveillance that's running in the background all the time and it's not in your awareness. It's detection, but it's detection without awareness. It's in the brainstem, so it's not in the cortex, in the part that we see as our consciousness. And it's picking up cues from the environment all the time, and they are cues basically measuring the amount of danger and the amount of safety. And depending on what cues it's picking up, it's going to direct the autonomic system to put us into one of those three states. So it's not a conscious choice that we'll go into fight or flight. It happens at the brainstem level that we're put into a physiological state, a specific physiological state with specific characteristics. And it's fascinating because... Where this physiological state arrives and dependent on what the state is, we then, after the event, create a story to explain the state. So let's say that I meet a person and they say something to me that I interpret as me, meaning that they're dishonest, they're trying to rip me off or they're lying to me. And that interpretation, well, something about them, something about this interaction um, puts my neuroceptors on alert. So I meet the person, my neuroceptors go, danger, danger. I'm in the physiological state now of being in fight or flight and then I will create the story. So you create the story to explain the state. So that's when I'll create the story of, I don't like this person. I think they're trying to rip me off. So that is fascinating because it's, I've been puzzled for years, my whole life, about how I can have a different opinion of someone's behavior or a different response to someone's behavior at different times, even though it's the same behavior. So if someone um, was late to meet me or didn't ring me when they said they would or didn't give me the money they owed me, on a certain day I'll have the memory of that event and I'll feel angry and resentful and they'll be a bastard and they'll be a dishonest person. And then on another occasion I will have the very same memory of the very same event, nothing's different, and I'll have a completely different view of that event. I'll say, well, they were late because they were obviously worried about their mother who was sick or they missed the train or they were uh, agitated because of something that, that worried them. Or I'll have a completely different opinion. So our opinions, our beliefs and our behaviors are completely different depending on whether we're in the sympathetic, the, the social engagement state or the fight or flight state or the freeze state. And he didn't specifically address this um, when I watched the Stephen Porges videos, but it seems to me that one can change one's story. In fact, I know this from personal experience. Um, I can be really annoyed about someone's behavior
And I'm telling myself this story in my head over and over about how they um, behaved in this way because I don't matter or they don't care or they're evil or whatever. And I can stop and pause and create in my mind a completely different explanation for their behavior. I can create multiple different explanations for their behavior. And I can... um, choose to focus on an explanation, a story that doesn't um, create anxiety or a defense mechanism. And I've done this. I've changed my state of mind. I've changed my attitude to that person's behavior. And then I've changed back again to the other one. Um, Because then I'll, sometimes I'm in doubt. Sometimes I look at the two stories and I go, well, which one is the right one? Which one is true? Which one is the real story? And I'll kind of vacillate in and out of these two states and I'll get agitated about their behavior, then I'll be fine with it, then I'll get agitated again, then I'll be fine with it. Which to me shows that it's definitely, it must be possible to regulate one's um, autonomic nervous system by the use of story. And I've seen this written, so it's a it's a good strategy. So that was um, interesting about the neuroceptors and how they put us into a physiological state. And in that physiological state, we have different abilities to change or learn or connect. So it's actually very different, uh, difficult to learn new things when one is in the fight or flight or the shutdown state. So if one is at a workshop or an educational state or just having a conversation with someone, if there is some fight or flight going on in the background, if the physiology is in that more fight or flighty state, we're not going to be open to new learnings. We're not going to be receptive. We're not going to have curiosity. We're not going to be interested because physiologically we're shoring up our defense system. We're focusing on I'm under threat and I need to resolve this threat. I need to run away from it or I need to attack it or I need to do something. I'm mobilized, ready to take an action. I've got cortisol and adrenaline and I need to fix this threat and get rid of it. And in that state, we can't learn. And and again, that's happened to me during Feldenkrais um, classes because, of course, in Feldenkrais, the idea is that the movements and the atmosphere and the environment puts you into a, a relaxed and social engagement state. But it doesn't always happen because... Um, For example, if the teacher gives me an instruction that I don't understand or that I um, can't do physically or I don't see how I can do it physically, that in itself will trigger my button that says, if I don't understand something, that's a life-threatening situation. If I can't do something, that's a life-threatening situation because I've got that story going on in my background. And so from that point on, from the point that the instruction that I don't understand has been given, 
I will be in a fight or flight state and I won't be able to learn anymore. I won't be curious about my body. I won't be curious about how it feels to move across the floor. I won't be curious to find a way of moving that will allow me to do this movement that I don't understand. And I can often come in and out of that. I'm in the borderline of fight or flight, um, can't do the movement, getting frustrated, unable to learn, and then... I can self-soothe and self-calm and change my story and say, don't worry about it. You'll find the movement. It doesn't matter. It's not important. Just enjoy the moment, etc. And then I'll go back into the social engagement and then I'll become capable of learning. And it's so interesting for therapists and people who advise others and guide and coach others because if the person you're trying to advise, guide and coach is in that fight or flight state, they're not going to be hearing you. They're not going to be hearing the things you say to to help them. Um, And as the guide or coach or therapist, you might get all frustrated because you're like, I've told them a million times, they're not listening, they're not doing it. Well, they're not listening because they can't, they can't hear because they're in a physiological state that prevents hearing, prevents understanding because they're preparing to resolve the danger. And then when they're in that uh, freeze state where their physiology has decided that the danger cannot be resolved that there is no resolving the danger, that the only option is to shut down, conserve energy, become immobile and just basically pre-death, then they're even less able to learn and the behaviours and opinions they will have will reflect that. So if, um, if someone's late or doesn't call them or doesn't pay back the money they owe them, and they're in that freeze state, which a lot of people are in quite a lot of the time, then they're going to have a pretty dim view of those things. And they're going to be, it's going to be really hard to convince them that the aim of the other person isn't um, to deliberately do something bad to them. So it's, and it's kind of a chicken and egg situation because yes, Our neuroceptors detect the danger or the safety and our neuroceptors put us into a certain physiological state. But we do have some control over then deciding if that physiological state is appropriate and um, doing something towards changing it. So we can't necessarily stop it from happening But I believe we can train ourselves to notice that it has happened, to get really good at picking up those subtle cues that tell us, oh, hang on, I was in social engagement a minute ago and now I'm in fight or flight. Um, Is there really a danger? Or what was it that I perceived to be a danger? And how did that feed into some story I've got that made it look like a danger when actually it's not? Public speaking is a great example because I'm terrified of public speaking. But I thought thought recently, hang on a second, shouldn't I love it? Because isn't that, shouldn't we all love it? Isn't that what all of us yearn for is to be heard, to express ourselves, to express our ideas, to tell 
everyone else we know how we see the world and what's wonderful about it and what's interesting to us and what our fears are and what our experiences are. Isn't that the epitome of connection with other human beings? And yet so many of us find it terrifying because we've got a story that says that when we do all those things, when we express ourselves, we will be judged or rejected or outcast from the group. And so the whole thing about whether public speaking is frightening or something to be enjoyed and delighted in is down to the stories we carry and how we interpret what we call danger, what we think of as danger and threat. Um, So... Oh, another thing, I think I'll talk about this on another podcast. I think that's quite enough for one podcast. Um, I've got so much to say about polyvagal theory. There are going to be at least another one or two episodes. Enjoy today. Thank you. Bye.